Welcome to Real Conversations, brought to you by Hedgeye. These in-depth, pro-to-pro investing conversations feature Hedgeye CEO Keith McCullough going deep with some of the smartest investors from around the world. We encourage you to visit our website, Hedgeye.com, to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. You can also follow us on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. Now, let's get to a real conversation. Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back to another Real Conversation with one of my faves, Daniel DiMartino Booth. Welcome, Daniel. Great to be back with you, Keith. How are you? Good, good, good. I have one question that's on my mind all the time, which is, uh, is the Fed about to fuck this up? Uh, yes, and you could have finished the sentence by saying, by raising or mm. by not raising, because the answer is still yes. I mean, you, you end up in a position here where it's like a, you get this late lagging response to what anybody with a process, you and I included, uh, could have seen coming from a long time ago, actually. I mean, uh, we started calling for inflation to accelerate in June of 2020, for God's sakes. But I mean, uh, it became more readily apparent to more macro tourist types even three months ago, maybe six months ago. Uh, what is it about the Fed making policy mistakes and the consistency of policy mistakes that, that had you, you know, so, so ready to answer yes to that question? Well, there's, in the, there, there's a little bit of a story here, and I'll make it a short one. <laughs> in the aftermath of the great financial crisis, the markets were satisfied with the Fed coming in with one barrel loaded. So massive amounts of quantitative easing, liquidity programs out of the New York Fed, that sufficed. I mean, it was massive, right? We had Lehman fall, all kinds of you know, just craziness going on. But the Fed's programs were enough to keep the markets on an even keel to bail out the financial systems, to bail out speculators, et cetera. This time when we went into this, you might recall that not QE was not working and the market was clamoring for more, 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 but yet the Fed was maintaining that the economy was strong enough and that it didn't need to launch full-blown QE. But what it really was trying to say was, we need a, an excuse, we need a black swan. And it got that black swan. But as we've seen with 42.3% of GDP pumped into the system via fiscal stimulus alone, there was no single barreled approach to resolving what was wrong after tapering it over, taping it over, band-aiding band it over for a decade after the financial crisis. You needed a double barreled approach. And that's what's different this time. When you deliver money directly to the people, they're gonna spend it. And when they spend it, they're gonna cause prices to increase. If you artificially suppress supply in the housing market, lo and behold, housing prices are going to go up as well. So even if every single transitory narrative was to come to fruition, you still have with a five quarter lag, home price appreciation and rental appreciation that is coming into the CPI calculus right now. And that is sticky and that's gonna be problematic and that's why you're seeing the unheard of, which is U.S. politicians coming out and saying monetary policy is too loose because they're hearing from their constituents that rental price appreciation at 12, 14, 20 percent, you name the apartment REIT or the single family rental that's publicly traded. These are readily available data. You, you name it. And their constituents are saying this is too much. This yeah. is a third of the household's budget and it's going up like gangbusters. Well, and there's nothing that Powell can do to address it. What I think uh, the, the political football associated with that is something that certainly brings in a new dynamic. It always is different, but I mean, you get a different political party, uh, but you have the political pressure or the inflation's the football. I mean, that's 
that's a big one, and the data is what it is. Uh, what you said, you know, empirically, I, I, I want to make sure we set the table for that because I hear people waxing. You know, we'll talk about that too. Deflationistas, inflationistas, they're all theme-based, long-term. You're gonna be a deflationista for life or inflationista for life. It's a very sad way to live if you're trying to generate returns. Obviously, that would be nonsensical. But um, on, on the empirical matter, which is a 33% of the number that they're gonna be staring at, guys, if you go to slide um, 63, what Danielle just said is it's an empirical fact. I mean, the question uh, the, that she and I don't have is specifically when it shoots to new cycle highs. You know, So there's a lag to this. And that number, Danielle, as you, as you know, like up until February of 2021 has easy base effects or easy comparisons. So they're gonna have to keep saying that and saying that and saying that. And at the same time, uh, slide 63, which is the leading indicator on that, which you also mentioned, home price appreciation is running up. Uh, well, new home prices hit new, new all-time highs yesterday. Let's just start with that. But when you look at it fully loaded. $390,000. Yeah, I mean, it's like, $90, you know, so you're, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. So this is where I want to get back to. So if, if the inflation is what I've thought it was going to be since the beginning of the cycle, which is now going back a fairly long time that the Fed should have acknowledged, instead of calling it, and, and was this the policy mistake, being advised by certain buy-siders, and certainly the sell-siders, and definitely uh, in order, they go buy-side, you know, the people that, that, that ultimately get them paid in the end, they go to the sell-siders or the whatever, the blue-chip economists, and then they go to themselves which is the last resort, which is the Fed economist. But when you think about like those ones, was the policy mistake to call it transitory because they thought that those three super easy base effects months, April, May, and June, were going to be it? I think that that was the playbook that they were following. But again, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. You've had mortgage forbearance. Okay, fine. So it's only 1.6 million Americans. And then this rental eviction moratorium has right. had an even greater effect. Again, if you suppress supply, there's no way that prices are not going to increase to to solve the demand problem. And that's what, and, and by the way, there is a blueprint. Fannie Mae has done all of the work. It is a five quarter lag and we've had home prices appreciating for multiple quarters now. It's coming into the CPI. Yep. So, okay, so let's just let's just say that you and I are right. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna go with that option because that's actually how you get paid this year is to be long of inflation as opposed to calling it transitory. Like I can't go to my accountant at the end of the year and say, well, you know, these returns are transitory. Can we make sure that we don't pay our taxes? You know, the fact of the matter is that they're trending returns, inflation's trending. Um, so how does it work in terms, is it, is, is it what we already see one by one, even the worst of the forecasters, one, like when I go through the order of forecasters, like Bullard is at the end of that line, at the end of the end of the line. Like even he knows that there's inflation at this point. Is that what we're gonna get? Is that we're just gonna have the latest of late cycle Fed people just acknowledge reality? Well, I think we've had more than an acknowledgement of reality. And we have to remember the newest kid on the block, Christopher Waller. He was Bullard's director of research. He is now a permanent voting member on the board. I think it was 2002 or 2005, don't quote me, but Mark Olson was the last time that there was a dissent on the Federal Reserve Board. That is a cohesive unit, and it has been since Greenspan was in office. And you're, you're talking about the potential of a regime change in 2022. And people are not acknowledging that we have, in, in terms of rotating Federal Reserve District presidents, everybody on my Twitter feed is like, oh, they mean, they mean nothing. Really? Mm. That's true. They're not permanent voters, but we have exiting stage left, one dove, two neutrals, and one hawk. Entering stage right are four Hawks, who have been vociferously saying we are behind the curve. One of them, by the way, is hosting the Jackson Hole Symposium. 
It is not polite behavior as a hostess, last I checked, to come out on the morning of the, the Jackson Hole uh, um, agenda being announced later on tonight and saying, we should be done by 2022 with this whole taper business. We're behind the curve effectively. But that's what Esther George said. She's one of the four Federal Reserve District presidents rotating in. If you can imagine five dissents at the January meeting, oh. because that's what you're talking about. We haven't had full-blown mutiny on the Federal Reserve, on the Federal Open Market Committee since Volcker was in office. But it's very unbecoming of Jay Powell, even if his power seat is intact. And right now his power seat is, you know, I, I joke about it. Uh, I, I was up talking to a buddy of mine who will remain uh, unnamed up at Camp Kotak in Maine last week. And we were joking that they've got that, that they've got Clarida somewhere tied up in the basement because we've only heard from him once. <laughs> His entire framework was built around inflation expectations. Long-term inflation expectations have come off their ground. So you don't even have the three people in the center, vice chair of the FOMC, chair of the Fed, and vice chair of the Federal Reserve Board. You always had those three, Powell, Clarida, and Williams as permanent voting members saying, we're going to hold the line. You don't even have Clarida, who, by the way, is leaving office. Mm -hmm. as far as we know. But again, I think he's locked up somewhere in the basement of the Eccles building right now because we haven't heard <laughs> boo from him in a long time because he knows he's going back into the private sector and that he can't deny his lifetime of work on inflation expectations that have become unhinged. <laughs> unhinged. And you're not yet, so we'll get to that, uh, by the way, on, on how, this is, yeah, how this has impacted the people. But I mean, uh, the fact of the matter is that the policy mistake starts, ground zero is that the Fed has an inability to proactively forecast with any accuracy that should be running any kind of policy. All right, so again, you can believe in, if you're a big government policy person, you would prefer to have somebody who actually has something that's accurate. Uh, slide 15 is basically where our nowcasts are currently on inflation. And the whole point is that they're sticking. And you could have seen this if you just, you know, read the bloody numbers or saw our nowcasts in real time for the last six months, never mind the last 12. Um, but again, you know, these numbers have fours in front of them. And if I take basically what we already just talked about, and we take, because uh, I, I now cast, right? And you know what that means, but not everybody else. I mean, so I'm now casting taking incoming data. And then it, until I get that shelter, that you know, component or OER component of, of rent, until I get that actually reported 100 basis points higher, Danielle, I can't take my fourth quarter number up. You know what I mean? But I can front run it. And that's what markets do. Markets have been front running the Fed on inflation the whole time. So the policy mistake starts with they have no ability to, 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 to forecast. Then wait, 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 they do it on a lag. You know they, they saw this coming, Keith. There's an undeniability about the fact that Jay Powell is from the private sector. He knows what was coming. He saw the whites of the eyes of the credit markets and got totally freaked out in 2018. And that has, that's what's caused this. Look, if you go on the Federal Reserve's main website, it says that the Federal Reserve is mandated to make policy in the public interest. They could have said a long time ago, you know what, these mortgage-backed securities purchases are doing more damage than good. You know, as Bullard said this morning, you know, your, your middle, low-income people cannot afford to get into a house or an apartment. And yeah. they, could have, they could have throttled back on that $40 billion a month in mortgage-backed securities purchases a long time ago. And the signal would have been, you know what, we're still somewhat independent and we know what's coming down the pipeline, we're gonna keep $80 billion a month in treasuries going so the markets don't totally freak out. But now it doesn't matter what they do, markets are freaking out, period. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so let's play this out in terms of, okay, we've, we've laid the groundwork, like who the players are, what their problems are as forecasters, but the policy mistake itself, tell, tell people if I'm crazy or not, but you tighten into a slowdown. I've seen this many times. 
Mm -hmm. And that's exactly where we are. If they start to see that core inflation is rising and they feel like they have to rush to play catch up while they're trying to, you know, I, I think Goldman Sachs said 15 billion a month, something very nice and polite. But if they feel like they have to rush into actually raising interest rates and they're in a situation where they're double tightening, markets don't like that. And you're right. Once you inflation adjust the quickly receding GDP forecasts, you're talking about the potential for negative real GDP here. Nobody's anticipating that. But on this, uh, you know, Bob, you, you mentioned blue chip economists. They've all got these forecasts for growth going into 2022, but not a single one can tell me where that's coming from, absent another stimulus check. Actually, if we do, um, and I want to get, actually, let's just go there. Um, fiscal, uh, if we've, we've been doing a lot of work internally and talking with our institutional clients about this, and it, it is finally the, the mother of all cliffs. And that is inclusive of having, um, a, 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 I would call it a rosier uh, or more left-leaning infrastructure and fiscal spending plan. If we go with your view, I mean, I, I actually don't know how bad my number can get in the second quarter of next year. U.S. GDP is going to be a certified train wreck. And the Fed, according to Bullards, that's precisely when they want to raise interest rates? In theory, that's when they want the taper to be ending. I mean, what you're saying, they're talking about tightening into a slowdown. I think, I think the second quarter of 2022 might be ambitious because you can't tell me what is going to happen on the, by the way, September the 4th, when these unemployment benefits run out, people have run the math. They're anticipating an $80 billion hit to consumer spending almost immediately. Yeah. And again, we're already seeing, if you follow this website that I follow, dailyjobcuts.com, it's easy enough to follow, you're already seeing layoff announcements come back. You're seeing manufacturers, yeah. lo and behold, look for overseas ways, they're heading to Mexico to do their manufacturing. They're not gonna sit back and take input price pressures forever and, and just be told that they're transitory. They're gonna figure out a way to cut costs. They're going to accelerate. They're gonna ac accelerate automation. This is like the boogeyman nobody even wants to acknowledge. And there's gonna be a need for fewer employees than there were pre-pandemic because great big companies who've got this thing called shareholders to answer to have gotta figure out a way to cut the biggest potential variable cost right now, and that is labor, and it's moving all over the place. That's a, a, a super important point. I mean, so again, we've talked a lot about the inflation of things. If you go to the labor cycle, like if my model's right, we're going to have what I call quad two or accelerating uh, labor reports all the way through into September, October, once we lap all these, you know, handouts and pe getting people off the couch, getting people, you know, getting kids back to school. But and so it's going to be like really hard for the Fed to sit there and get these CPI prints. And again, jobless claims hit a new cycle low again today. And again, I'm not saying that this is going to happen in the next year. I'm saying that the policy mistake happens in not understanding at particular moments in time when these things all hit at the same time. That, that's how we measure and map things fractally. We don't do the average of things or some bloody Fed forecast of things. The jobs numbers are going to be good, you know, potentially rate, I mean, certainly through Jackson Hole commentary, but, um, you know, into maybe the fall. It's, it's, it's conceivable. Uh, we don't know. I mean, the thing that we don't know most about right now, again, is that you don't have four sequential months of declining real retail sales. We learned from Cox Automotive yesterday that we will have the lowest print since June of 2020 for car sales. We're going to have a fourth straight month of declining car sales by a half a million units per month. Mm. These, these are huge moves. And again, everybody's afraid to talk about the fact that so much demand, so much spending was pulled 
forward that there's not much on the other side. You can talk about the fiscal cliff all you want, but what about the demand cliff yep. from households? Yeah, that, I mean, that, I, again, it's the base effect stupid anyway, me being the stupid person. Um, but again, once we get to Q2 of next year, it's mathematically impossible to see anything other than decelerations. It's the most, it's, it's, the, it's the best base effect in the history of mankind. So, um, okay, so look, now, now the deflationistas are like, oh, so Danielle and Keith, they agree with me in the end. Yeah, if you miss two years of frickin' returns, you miss inflation cycles every single time we have them, you're eventually gonna be right. Because the Fed makes you right. That's the point. And that's the thing. And that's the reason that we're seeing such reticence with the 10-year yield. Because right. just, you, you said it, markets are looking forward and the 10-year yield right now is broadcasting stagflation. Yeah, that And is, that's that, why people are like, I can't understand why the yield curve is not steepening. I'm like, well, dumbass, it's called stagflation. Go Google it. It's from the 1970s if you weren't around. But that's the case. And people don't know how to factor that into 10-year yields going to rise or fall. It's not that simple or elegant. That's not what stagflation is all about. No, stagflation is a compressing yield curve. I've said this six, six ways to Sunday, and it's going to be Sunday again soon, because that's the thing about Sundays. It keeps coming. And that's the thing about time and space. And that's the yep. thing that people screwed up in the 1970s. If you go back and you look at the yield spread, 10s, 2s in the early 70s, all the way to 1975, like, what did you see? I mean, you see exactly what's developing right now. Now, my question really on that, like once we get out on that duration, which is a couple of careers from now for me in P&L terms, like, you know, I don't just like trade whimsically on buying long-term bonds um, until I get to the right setup for that. Um, but again, once we get there, it's going to be a really interesting thing because the Fed is going to, I would say, I, my, my, if, if, if my outlook here is right, by Q2 of next year, the Fed's going to be cutting interest rates and, and doing everything all over again. Now, that is going to be a sight to see that'll stoke inflation back up again. So it's going to be really interesting to watch all the moving parts. It is, Keith, but we're not talking about the elephant in the room, and that is the, the complexion of the $3.5 trillion spending bill, the fact that nobody's talking about the debt ceiling, and that 46 GOP senators have already signed on to not raise the debt limit at all. They have nothing to lose in these negotiations because they have their eyes set on the mm -hmm. midterms. And, and, and again, the thing that people are not talking about and the thing that Jay Powell is starting to recognize, right? This, this entire situation in Afghanistan was not free. And the U.S. checking account balance started off at about $300 billion. You've got the rental eviction moratorium carrying through to October the 3rd. You've got tax child credits that are being paid out in cash. What if Janet Yellen gets a knock on the door on October the 1st and says, hey, hey we've run out of cash. We're <laughs> overdrawn. That's oh not what she's expecting. She's expecting to have leeway through Halloween. But again, look at Mitch McConnell. Look at his comments. Look at those of other Republicans. Why would they be even beginning to sign off on a three and a half trillion dollar bill that's based on soaking the rich, raising corporate income taxes, providing a, expanding the social safety net that's never going to be uh, shrunk again. These, these programs are only created. They're never destroyed. All in the name of buying progressive votes. Mm. What GOP senator is going to sign off on this? And why wouldn't they let, and I'm going to throw something out here that I'm about to blow up all of Hedgeye. <laughs> There's a blueprint that was made in 2013 that explained to Bernanke how, if need be, post-government shutdown, the Treasury could strategically default on Treasury holdings at the Federal Reserve. 
Try me, Mitch McConnell might say, try me. And none of this is being factored in. Again, while the debt ceiling is not raised, you cannot issue a single treasury bill, note, or bond. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now, <laughs> the market's actually figuring this out. It's a really interesting thing to watch it manifest. And again, so many people, when they talk about long-term bond yields, it's, it, it'll never cease to amaze me. But they, they're going to have this long-term outlook, and they miss all the real particular moves that matter in between. And for that to happen, Danielle, in between, uh, there is actually our Washington office, these guys, uh, JT Taylor, I don't know if you know him or not, but he was saying the other day, he's like, I, well, first of all, they were in, in Pelosi's office till like 1230, you know, 1230 in the morning on Monday, which is totally screwed up for the end of August. That like never happens. Um, so you have like all these, and, and what he said was, so, and now they're leaving, they're gonna come back and we're gonna have like a very deep slate, intense slate of fiscal policy uh, votes starting September 27th, something you know, thereabouts at least, you know, end, end of September. And he said it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be like as busy as anything you've seen. And I guess if your view is that it's gonna be a lot more dangerous than anything you've ever seen, then I know what I, I need to do with that. Well, okay, so they're going to be busy, but on the other side of the aisle, they're just going to be watching and exactly. saying, yeah. try me. No matter yeah, what you me. throw my way, try me, because I've got my eye on the primaries and the midterms, and I don't mind seeing this government shut down. I'm fine with that. And that's, again, that's September the 30th. Right. Okay. So how does, um, so, at so at least we're in the same week in terms of a catalyst. And it's super important for those of you out there. I mean, okay, it's one thing to listen to Danielle, like educate you on all the different players and, and where, where we think stagflation is and what the policy mistakes could be. But please have a macro calendar catalyst in your process so that you know, like what you're looking forward to, as opposed to what we're looking behind at. You know, that's just like, I'm just trying to give people one-on-one. -on -one. I've realized this year, Danielle, that not everybody knows, you know, basic stuff like that. And I'm not trying to, you know, talk down to anyone. It's just, it's, it's an important a way year ago, I wasn't some expert on the on the on the congressional calendar, but <laughs> it's I, it's bookmarked. It's, it has to be yeah. bookmarked in kind of an environment because you have to know what the players are, what they're doing, especially with Mrs. Magoo running Treasury. Oh, so, that okay. So let's do let's do her. Okay. So uh, Janet Yellen. That was mother, very disrespectful. I apologize. The mother of all. I, you don't need to apologize on this show. I mean, the, the mother of all doves. Let's just say again, it's, it's an argument we're making here. And we didn't, uh, by the way, uh, coordinate arguments. We're just having a discussion like we would. And you know, let's say we're right. And what is she going to do? The most recent comment is she, she likes Mr. Powell. Does she like Mr. Republican Powell going into that setup? She absolutely does. And she has been really surprisingly Machiavellian in keeping his name. Uh, this, is, this is actually, I'm going to step back and, and compliment Janet Yellen, the last thing she wants is discontinuity in the markets. She wants for for market players to believe in the Powell put mm -hmm. and not have to wonder what happens if Lael Brainerd comes in with her eyes set on facilitating, enabling MMT, modern monetary theory. Because mm -hmm. that, that's what you've got there. So for, for Yellen to be less dovish than she otherwise would be in favor of Powell shows you how frightened she is of these financial markets. And she's no Steve Mnuchin. And that's not a political statement. It's just she's a labor economist. Mm. We don't know that she has the ability to launch not QE if there's a disturbance in overnight lending markets. I don't know that she's that market savvy. Mm. Now, now there's where you always do this to me. You get my you get my explicit attention. You had the right side of my brain going to 
Republicans are going to go there. And then I was trying to remember what Powell's party was. But then I forgot that over here on the left side, that the left and the right are the same when it comes to money printing and Fed policy. It's the same thing. They both do it. It's not, it's it not. is the same thing. I mean, that's why there is this massive discourse going into Jackson Hole. Right now, Powell is looking after his legacy. Bizarrely enough, <laughs> Janet Yellen is helping to ensure that that Powell's legacy is a longer one than hers is, that he's not a one and done Fed chair. Oh, boy. And I mean, but, but, but there's no re Jay Powell's got too much money. His net worth is too big for him to be willingly signing on for another four years if it's not his legacy that he's trying to safeguard. Uh, and if that's the case, you cannot have the, the stock market crash. Okay, you just so can't the, do it. So he's so, desperately trying to thread this needle while he's facing mutiny on the FOMC in January. Happy New Year, Chair Powell. So so you're saying that he's probably not going to accept even if she wants him? No, 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 no. No, I, I'm, I'm telling you, he wants his, his legacy. He wants or it. Or he wouldn't be bothering to do this. He doesn't want to be a one-and-done chair. He wants to be renominated to have the, the confidence of multiple parties, blah, 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 blah. Oh, just a, just a, you know, I, I, I love our counsel internally. I mean, I have a lot of good friends that are lawyers, but to have, you know, uh, have somebody, you know, a lawyer run this thing for eight, you know, for so many years, it's, and it's going to turn into the bureaucracy, I guess, that it's always been. But there's no, is there any case here to be made, hawkish Fed members or not, that his legacy isn't going to be just completely tattooed with money printing and liquidity whenever the market needs it? No, I don't think you can ever undo grandfathering in triple B credits. No, that will always be his legacy on the street, always. It'll that always be his net worth? Everything that, everywhere he came from, that's all that that is. He did uh, modify Main Street lending program in order to accommodate private equity portfolio companies, but I digress. <laughs> P.E. Powell, as somebody affectionately calls him. It's, a, it's got some great alliteration there. All right, so you're not a fan of fiscal spending anyway. Um, what do you think? Not uh, at this juncture. You're keeping people out of the labor force, Keith. You're keeping people unnaturally out of the right. labor force. When you do this to an individual and they have skills atrophy, that means that if they wake up one day and they're like, you know what, I've changed my mind, I want a higher income, all of a sudden they're not hireable. So this is massive long-term damage to the productivity potential of the U.S. economy, keeping people out of the workforce. So no, yeah. I'm not in favor. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not either. If you look at slide 40, um, guys, this income cliff uh, or payroll catalyst that we talked about, like it's you know understanding what you just said and understanding just the mechanics of unwinding it. You know that's that's really the only upside left in the jobs market. Um, so. You know, that's that's something that we're, you know, I mean, we'll see if we're. Well, but you've also got, you know, you, you also had de Blasio of all people uh, demand that that New York teachers get vaccinated and get back into the classroom. So you can theoretically unleash millions of parents who have been you know, shackled to their kids virtual learning environments at the same time that you release whatever we've got eight and a half million people on on, on these gig contract 1099 worker type of unemployment program. So there is going to be an influx uh, of, of workers into the labor pool. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I know you always have comments on this and now that you're back to traveling a lot from what I understand, at least that's what- Hello uh, from Santa Monica. Yeah, you're in Santa Monica, she's in California. I think you're having a, I think you're having a discussion with Gunlac uh, today or is it tomorrow? I believe so. Yeah, you, you let me go first. <laughs> well, you're on East Coast time, I'm not. <laughs> Must be the time zone thing. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But when you look at, um, I know that you have a lot of thoughts on this on 
on how Fed policy stands against uh, you know, the needs of the people. And I'm not talking about people like you and I, I'm talking about people that are on low income to no income. And, and, and today, you actually had Bullard say it. Like, is it, is it, how long has it been since the Fed has taken some level of uh, accountability with this? I mean, I, 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 was, I was quite taken aback by that. Again, it was his second in command, Christopher Waller, who came out on a Bloomberg interview in the evening and, and derided the white hot housing market. This was months ago. And if you've been advising somebody for the majority of his career, then you're going to think the same. Bullard has been surprisingly hawkish and consistent uh, for a long time. Uh, we, I mean, the Robert Kaplan situation, that's a known known. We get that. But again, you're seeing some, uh, some unlikely suspects who are jumping on this bandwagon because the Fed's policy is doing such untold damage to, and somebody on my, hats off to whoever came out of my Twitter feed today and said, you know, shame on Bullard for saying low income, that, that, that the Fed policy is hurting low income workers, because what about the middle income workers that it's also hurting very badly? And that's true. That's true if you think about, about single family new leases being up 14% year over year and you're a middle income family who doesn't want to buy into these high home prices, but you want to live in the right neighborhood. So you sign some massive lease to, to be in the right school district and lo and behold, 10 years later, you know what, you've never signed up for that. You've never been able to save up for that down payment. This is not just hurting the low income earners, but it is also helping hollow out the middle class or what's left of it. Isn't it amazing that, uh, how old do you know, uh, how old's Waller? I'm assuming he's younger. Waller is a bit younger, yes. I mean, I, I've only seen him. He, he's kind of like prematurely gray, a little bit like you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Uh, you're looking younger all the time, by the way. Look no, but that, 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 that makes you distinguished, right? Isn't that the rule book? I, I think that's what, you know, my kids might say, like, to be nice to me. But um, regard, I mean, I, the reason why I asked, and some people are triggered when you say younger. Oh, you're talking about me, a millennial. Um, no, it's just you're younger, so you, you may have like noticed things that older people who are looking at it dogmatically may have not noticed. Now, isn't it amazing if you look at slide 66 on this rent thing, that Waller may have looked at the Fed's data and said, hmm, like what does this chart look like? This is rent price expectations one year ahead according to the Fed survey, right? It's, mm -hmm. not, like, it's not like you have to wake up with this glorious moment as Waller, the, the, the man rising within the ranks of the Fed forecasting system. I mean, the numbers, how many bars are in that chart? I mean, forget how many bars there are, just look at where it came from. Oh, just know. look at the history, look at the long-term history of the thing and, and it goes, you know, just goes vertical. That's, and again, to your point, and how, how poetic is it that it's Fed data? It's hilarious. It's like it's it's on the internal hot button. Hello. Here's a uh, slide 56 guy. I got a lot of this eye candy for you because uh, it's not it's not just uh, it's not just Danielle you get to look at. You get look at this eye candy. Look at this transitory. Like they say transitory. You, can you see this chart, Danielle? This is the inflation. I can see the chart, but that's why they've got Clarita locked up in the dungeon. Well, it's I mean it's just uh, oh here's one more from the Fed. This is this is a beauty. Where is this thing? Uh, I know I have it in here somewhere. It's got to be. Come on, guys, show me the Fed's nowcast for inflation. That their own nowcast. Where is that thing? You guys pop that in there, please. The Federal Reserve's nowcast for inflation. Dig dig deep into the macro deck and find that. But it's I mean it, it it's their own nowcast and it's a shitty nowcast, but it's on a lag. And it's, it, it too. So, you know, th those things, that's why I always say to people, like, you know, the buy side's interesting. Here's another question for you before I take other people's questions, which are sure. uh, obviously important. But the buy side has really been a, a, a culprit here, too, I think. 
If you look at the, the street's positioning, okay? So CFTC futures and options positioning to me is the positioning of the market. Um, guys, pop that up there. I'm sure you have that ready. You know, the street kind of came into this most recent move in the bond market, Danielle. They're, they're, they're basically long the dollar and long treasuries across the curve. That's expecting deflation, right? That's what deflation is. Dollar goes up, the prices in dollars go down, bonds rally. You know, they just got completely hosed this week on this move. What do you think about it? Well, and, and moreover, what is the feedback you get from your clients, big institutional managers on that? Because you'll talk to, like you said, Gunlack today. Well, so I, I think that what's not being taken into account is the real-time, on-the-ground slowing of growth and quickening of inflation at the same time. Again, I don't know that your average buy-side manager is capable of looking through two prisms at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to do in this environment. And when you're talking about printing money to, to get your way out, out of situations, and again, you've got the situation in, in, in Afghanistan that you know nobody's put pencil to paper, but it's not free what's happening right now. All of these emergency measures, and again, they're not looking at the Treasury general account held at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. They're not looking at that balance coming down. Hmm. That is, um, that's par for the course. You know, it's like, um, do you think there's still, I always ask you this, but is there ever a chance, like, like just a small chance that the policy at some point is affected by discussions like we have? I think it will be affected by force because the Fed may have intentions. The Fed may, as Goldman Sachs has dictated, oh, did I say that? may intend to start tapering in November or December at $15 billion a month. But the Fed cannot do anything as long as politics are front and center. And that is like page one of the Fed. Mm -hmm. If there's a political situation that's, that's, that is going on in, in, in Congress and you make any move of any kind that could be construed as for one team or the other, that's a big no-no. Your mm -hmm. hands are tied until everything is resolved. And again, this is not being taken into account by the street, whether it's the buy side or the sell side. Hmm. Yeah, the reason why I asked that, I mean, like somehow you and I are up to almost, uh, I don't know, four, five hundred, half a million people on collectively following you and I on Twitter. I mean, a lot of people, a lot more people paying attention than when maybe the officialdom or the establishment at the Fed would have ever envisioned. Um, so. A lot of people pay attention, and I wonder, like, you and I are basically saying, okay, look, you're going to blow the whole thing up one more time, and then you got to come all the way back in and do it all over again. That's basically what we're saying, correct? We are, but don't forget the midterms. Yeah. Don't forget that a single-barreled approach resolved the financial crisis. A double-barrel approach resolved the post-pandemic, mm. again, credit market blow-up. You're starting to see high yield. You're starting to see high yield spreads tick up for the first time yeah, since what? March 23rd, 2020. Right. So again, where's the double barrel coming from heading into the midterms if you cannot load up both barrels? That's a great so point. What I'm trying to say, Keith, is so what if the Fed's going to come in yeah. and do everything they can to address stagflation after the fact or behind the curve if they don't have the fiscal authority? with them every step of the way to the same magnitude that they have in the past 18 months, it will be ineffectual. Yeah, I remember uh, I remember when there was only a single barrel. 
and oil went to 140 bucks while the economy was stagflating. And the world, as most people in officialdom thought that it would go, ended. That's called 2008. That was a sing, you know, single-barreled approach that, the, you know, that Hank, the market, I used to call him Hank, the market tank, Paulson. I, we kind of come up with a cartoon for everything, you know. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is that that's what happened. They couldn't get the, the other part of the barrel in. That's right. And Bernanke spent most of his career begging for the fiscal authorities to step in and just give the guy a helping hand. Yeah. And, and, but this time, this time Powell got it. And yeah, then some. Big time. Big time. But markets never want a smaller Band-Aid ever. Drug, drug, drug addicts don't need a smaller dose. They need a bigger dose. <laughs> mm -hmm. And again, you know, November, the, November 2022 is closer than we think. Yeah. And the, the Republicans are still bitter about having lost the Senate, and they only have to gain four seats in the House. Mm -hmm. this, this is theoretical child's play. But what I'm saying is your fiscal, uh, unless, unless we have a full-blown meltdown, in the U.S. economy, it's going to be difficult for me to see members of the GOP signing up for some huge fiscal type of emergency type of plan. Well, that's that's why my question, like when I was thinking on the right side of my brain and, and what was going with Powell and why Janet may in the end not like him as much as, like you're saying, like, look, mm -hmm. he's just in the seat. Because to get, uh, and I haven't asked you about this either, and then I'll get to other people's questions, but you know, to me, the mecca, the mecca for MMT is getting Lyle Brainerd in the seat with Janet Yellen. That's right. So the fact that she came out, she, she already leaked the story a few weeks ago. Well, that did? didn't do the trick. Who did? Yellen. Yellen leaked her backing for Powell weeks oh, ago. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. I didn't see so anything on That didn't on quite Brainerd. do it. So Sunday night she came out, and, you know, and then the wires, it's official. Janet Yellen has told the White House. She has informed the White House of her backing for Jay Powell. She's like, okay, are you listening now? <laughs> so it, it's very real. And what? you've got Vegas betting odds at 82% that Powell gets reappointed. And I don't typically quibble with Vegas, not when it's 82 to, to 12 cents. Did she just get Did she just get back from Asia before she said, after, like, was she in Asia? Did I have that right? I don't know. I, if, I think she took her first trip-ish. Because if you go to Asia, you're like, holy shit, this is stagflation. <laughs> like in China, yeah. like this is bad, right? And, and exactly. It, and know, they're sitting on stockpiles of commodities. They don't have it near as bad as, as I mean, at least they've got backup supplies. Yeah. And they've been releasing them aggressively while sitting on their empty containers that were deadheaded in mass from the three big ports on the West Coast, sent back to China empty. And lo and behold, we have a container crisis. Yeah, that's I'm long that container crisis. I mean, that's it. There's so many ways to be long of inflation. It's it's basically become a running joke for anybody who has been long inflation that other people call your portfolio transitory. Anyway, let's go to um, uh, the queue. I got uh, number one question is actually interesting on, on dollar devaluation. Um, do you believe the Fed will be for, forced to devalue the dollar against gold at some future point? What other realistic options is the Fed going to do other than devalue the dollar? Uh, the Fed's never devaluing the dollar. You don't think so? There is there is precedent, but I mean, you don't exactly. I mean, you're asking me if the Fed's going to raise a white flag? No, I, I'm not asking. Rich is asking. His name is Rich. And, and by the way, Rich, it's not necessarily the Fed's decision either. Right. That's there's another department up there. Well, there's that. That's actually, you know, the mar I, you know, I call them Floki, the market gods. You know, like it's 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 you know, when the dollar goes up, Rich, 
That is the world saying, oh shit, we got like we got to go to cash. This dollar-denominated debt problem globally, there's way too much of it. You know, things deflate because of the market system we've created. You know, that's that's a big when part. When you see dollar strength in this environment, that is seriously this is this is Corleone going to the mattresses when you see dollar strengthening in this environment. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good. Uh, I like that. Uh, going to the mattresses. All right. Uh, what can trigger the Fed from losing? Here's an interesting question. I, I get this a lot. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, what can trigger the Fed from losing control over bond yields anyway? I think that that's probably the most critical question that you can ask right now. Mm-hmm. Because in, in theory, because we have this flattening bias, you could make an argument for the Fed having lost control, right? They launched not QE because the twos tens had been inverted for 90 days plus, and the overnight lending market was starting to go nuts. Again, if you want to look at the move index, I wish we could pull that up quickly. Yeah, we can, uh, we, we go through it every morning. It's kind of interesting, like CNBC will have like, uh, I don't know, some dude talking about a SPAC and this is what we go through first. It's a little, yeah. le little less exciting, but a lot more relevant. Um, yeah, the move moved to almost 65 yesterday. Five, yeah. yeah. So it's definitely something I'm keeping my eye on. It's not a direct indicator of credit market risk, but it is an indirect marker of credit market risk. And we, we went into February the 18th, 19th, whenever markets topped, that's when corporate debt kind of, the corporate bond market crossed this $10 trillion mark. And now we're pushing $11.5 trillion so there's a lot more to deal with. Yeah. So I think that it's, you, you have to pay attention to credit to get an indicator for when the Fed could truly lose control of the rates market. Yeah, you know, the short end of the curve has been, well, first of all, the move index is more, you know, there are more constellations around the short end than, than the you know, 30 year type long end. Um, but again, it's, it's on a historical basis, it's well, one, it's breaking out as it should uh, during either quad, um, you know, Quad four, or should say, quad three stagflation. Uh, but two, it's it could go a lot higher, uh, and that's when you know when you lose control that you can see that in the move or treasury bond market volatility moves. That's the move index moves. I actually had the creator of the move index on for a real conversation um, uh, the other day, uh, and just to show you how tough this game is, Danielle, he created the move, and his call was that the curve was going to steepen, and mine was it going to compress. So even the creator, think about that, the creator can't get the shape of the curve right all the time. Well, it's a it's a gauge of volatility. It doesn't necessarily tell you which direction. <laughs> Bingo. All right, uh, here's uh, here's another question. And this is like, um, this is a DDMB. I like that, DDMB. Uh, Jim uh, in New Jersey. Thank you for sharing your monetary, monetary policy expertise. Uh, read the Fed's money printing. Any idea when we get that Toto pulls back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz moment? Again, I mean, in, in my call me hyper focused, but the answer is yes. Uh, you know, it was we, we started to see just follow your triple C spreads. You saw triple C spreads tick up in in 2018 and they didn't come down until March the 23rd from a very uncomfortably high level. And if the credit market ever begins to unravel and nobody thinks this can happen. But if it ever begins to happen, then you've got issues. Remember, Pat Toomey 
made sure that in the legislation that was passed on December the 27th, that the Fed does not have the legal authority to flip on the credit switch, the credit facility switches that they used to, they didn't buy a lot of bonds, but they didn't need to. All they had to do was say, we're backstopping the credit market. Mm -hmm. Toomey was making sure that they couldn't flip on the municipal bond facility, but nevertheless, it applies to the off-balance sheet, treasury, Federal Reserve, credit facilities that bailed out the credit markets. It's illegal for Janet Yellen to just go flip that switch. She has to come up with a different reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the one thing that's consistent. They'll they'll try, you know, <laughs> come up with a different reason. But, um, okay, cool. Uh, we, have, we have a Canadian question. I, I, I love the Canadians, of course. Uh, Reg in Toronto. Uh, many believe at some point the market will get crushed. Yes, no one knows when, da 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 uh, What's your opinion on how much effect um, Congress' $5 billion in spending will have on forcing the Fed's hand? Uh, thanks for organizing this and for teaching Hedgeye Nation subscribers. Nice for the, thanks for the compliment, Reg. Well, Reg, A, I think that the savviest players in the GOP have signed on to the bipartisan infrastructure bill because they know that the three and a half trillion is not coming behind it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very dangerous assumption to to have. And again, it, that could still be very problematic for the Fed if the Fed wants paper or needs paper to buy. Mm. And all you've got is 550 billion in new spending spread out over eight years. Mm -hmm. That that's that's nothing compared to a Fed that was that was blowing up its balance sheet uh, in the very beginning uh, of the bailout process. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you've, if there's one thing that you've put in unique focus as you always do with with specific timing, it's 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 those dynamics. Um, you know, with this political dynamic, especially, it's just not. I'm just not. I'm no good at that. I just uh, thank you for getting me uh, onto that train of thought, but, by the but way. Keith, I, I'm going to play Socrates to you for just a second. Even if it was $3.5 trillion, is it the same as giving most of Americans $1,400 in cash mm -mm. or covering a vast, you know, a large chunk of renters, 25% of, of renters in federal programs, giving them $1,800 a month in stimulus? Mm -mm. People have to keep in perspective the form the stimulus took. The form the stimulus took was money directly injected into checking accounts of, 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 of U.S. households. That's not what they're talking about with these social spending programs. So it's dangerous to equate, even if we get to four and a half trillion, 4.1 trillion, whatever, it's dangerous to equate that with what we saw in the past 18 months with stimulus check 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Yeah, what it created, I mean, uh, guys go to slide 44, I mean, you know, all that money is in excess savings right now, you know, so you have like, it just, it's there, you know, it's different. 90% um, of that excess savings has been drawn down. Yeah, That's, that's yeah. the stag in, in stagflation. It's that a lot of that saving cushion has been drawn down. A lot of the residual and what's left is people who are 65 and older. Mm -hmm. Good luck with them. <laughs> well, how about the... Um, how about all the rich folk on Wall Street? And and uh, you know, this is this is what it is. This next chart is kind of interesting too, uh, very interesting. Or we wouldn't show it. Slide 45, which is you know this is luxury goods consumption. You know, pleasure boats, buying airplanes, watches, stuff like that. And just ripping, right? There's the drawdown gets goes from your account to buying shit, right? And that's so, the point. <laughs> you can't go buy a pleasure boat right now in Westport, Connecticut. You're gonna pay like you're gonna pay the same price that somebody paid for the same boat 15 years ago, and they used it for 15 years. <laughs> so keep, riddle me this, because I'm really gonna twist your brain now. Riddle me this. 
every week we publish at Quill and Tell and just every week we publish some aspect of the Langer Consumer Comfort Index, which used to be the ABC Weekly Index, which became the Bloomberg. Yep. But, but every week we publish. For the last five or six weeks, what cohort of income earners would you guess has had declining consumer confidence? Uh, poor people? The wealthiest. Really? I've, I've, Those I've, making 100000 or more have had declining consumer comfort while other cohorts have been rising for a very consistent amount of time. These are people who are in the markets who are saying, wait a minute, something's going to give. Really? Something has to give. And that is, you know, your top 20% of earners account for more than 40% of U.S. consumption, which accounts for two thirds of the U.S. economy. They're uncomfortable mm -hmm. and they have the wealth. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 whatever is percolating in the markets right now is really getting the wealthy nervous. Yeah, if I take uh, and of course consumer confidence broadly, and it's been impacted by that, of course, has slowed. So you you know that part I knew. I didn't know that that cohort obviously. But I, if you overlay that with the peak in small caps or the SPAC bubble, which is one and the same thing, I bet mm -hmm. you I'm bet I'm betting that the the people with 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 the real nuts felt yep. super confident when that when that peaked, uh, which was about June, and has subsequently you know started to say, oh shit, I can't, yep. Bill Ackman, I can't. I am not the smartest person on on the earth. I, I, my SPAC didn't work. I'm and we haven't confident. even, look, Keith, you haven't even mentioned Delta. And I'm not well, saying a, yeah. the economy revolves around a virus, but no. I personally know five people right now who are fully vaccinated, who are dealing with the coronavirus breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing what's happening in Israel and they're seeing yeah. what's happening in the UK. And again, they're the ones with the savings. Yeah. And they're the ones with stock holdings, and they're not too terribly impressed with whatever's happened to their personal health. The NRA, for God's sake, canceled its conference. The NRA, <laughs> give me a break. That's the last. That's the last convention that you would expect to be canceled last minute, and yet it was. So there will be some detrimental effect. These conferences are not rescheduled, and you can't you can't give that money back to the services sector once 2021 and 2020, excuse me, 2020 and 2021 are successively canceled. So there will be a follow on, a knock on effect to growth because of this, again, because it's affecting people with money. Well, real the real growth rate, let's just start with the fact that real growth, slide 13 guys, is going to get cut in half. It just already did. We're, we're two thirds of the way down in the third quarter. The third quarter number is going to have a six in front of it instead of a 12 on a year-over-year -year basis. So again, um, yeah, so that's... that's The New York that, Fed's now cast is even lower than that, and it keeps coming down. Because yeah. if you look at the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, it does not look to the bueno. Even today's jobless claims were higher than what, what we'd expected. Jobless claims should be crashing right now, crashing. Well, on a, on a trending basis, they're they're at the lows. I mean, if you They're take... absolutely coming down, but they should be coming down much more quickly if we've got all these people that are getting one more week of, of supplemental unemployment benefits. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Here's a question from your home state. Kevin from Dallas, Tejas. The man from Texas wants to know, how do you see the Fed unwind? And this is a plumbing question. If you don't have any, I bet you do have an answer. Jeez, it just jumped on me. That thing just jumped up in the queue. Right when I was reading it. Guys, how did that work? Look at that. Uh, yeah, where is this question again? About It was about repo. Um, here it goes. Uh, how do you see the Fed unwinding the reverse repo market that has significantly grown since March? I don't think they have a desire to unwind it. 
I think the Fed is very comfortable. And in fact, the Fed feels that its power seat has been reinforced by being the alternative provider of, 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 of liquidity in the market. I, I think we could easily see the reverse repo facility towards the end of October creep up towards $2 trillion. It would not surprise me at all. And there's already discussion about raising the cap for individual money market funds. So the, the, the thing that market participants have to pay attention to is picture a bucket. The Fed is trying to fill up a bucket with water with $120 billion every single month. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a trillion plus coming out through holes in the bottom of the bucket, even though it's only on a nightly basis, but it's, if it's every night, it starts to become a thing, right? Yeah. If, it, if it's every night, you start to call it a monthly phenomena, a two month, three month. But they're, 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 they've got two operations going on at the same time that conflict with one another. And what you don't want is for the market to begin to perceive that the reverse repo, because it's static, one trillion every plus every night is a form of tightening. Mm -hmm. That's what when the plumbing becomes problematic. Yeah, that's a really good uh, image of how this how this works. And again, simplifying the complex is not easy until you understand all the parts. And um, we have a cartoon somewhere of a, of a raft. Fed policy is like everyone's safe on the raft until it's like to your point starts leaking uh, or the holes are in it. And then, you know, voila. Uh, John from Arkansas, this is an interesting question. I do not know the answer on this, obviously, or I wouldn't uh, pick it. Um, do, you have any, you, do you have any Intel update on Fed coin crypto timing? I don't. Um, yeah, they're, they're coming out with a white paper. I, I think that they're, hmm. they are. Uh, on their I own coin or like on coins? On some form of central bank digital currency. Okay. And this has been put upon them by the administration, shall we say. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're not seeing the efficacy out of China that would really push the Fed to accelerate its plans. And again, this is the mechanism through which modern monetary policy is facilitated. This is the Lacey Hunt nuclear option. If you have a, a, a federal a, a central bank digital currency, if you have the ability of individuals to have accounts directly at the Federal Reserve, you've just basically negated this, the conventional banking system in, in the country. There's hmm. no reason for it to exist beyond investment banking. So, but if you do that, then you have a mechanism by which to deliver socialism directly to Americans. You'd have to open the Federal Reserve Act to actually do that but you would render Fed liabilities legal tender and deliver money directly to the people. You wouldn't even have to pretend and say you're not monetizing anymore. You just would flat Correct. out be a conduit for the treasury. Mm. And there is some part of Jay Powell that's still, the, the light's on and somebody's still sort of home. Mm. And he knows the slippery slope and he's friends with bankers who really don't want to be made <laughs> irrelevant. So, <laughs> Well, that's the thing on this. I mean, cause you're, you're, a fairly ardent stance here is that he's going to be around for a second act and and I guess that that would be a headwind for for legislation wouldn't it it would be a headwind for socialism mm -hmm. so in that sense okay yeah okay well if I start with a couple minutes left if I start getting you going on socialism we're gonna be here for a while but um I know you have a schedule <laughs> here's a maybe this is a good good one to ask you as, as the last question uh, Tim in St. Louis, I think this is a really interesting question from a behavioral perspective. Um, so he asks, does pride run so deep at the Fed DDB that they'll crash the markets knowing everything that we just talked about? 
I think that the Fed has its eyes on more than one prize. And losing control of the rates market is worse than a big stock market correction. Mm. Having their hands tied by politicians is even bigger in terms of we never do this, we're the Fed. Mm -hmm. If you're asking the more basic question, does, does pride feed into policy making? And if their models tell them that if we do this, the stock market's not going to crash and they, you know, and, and the stock market crashes anyways, they're still going to come back and tell you that their model was correct. There was just some <laughs> kind of a flaw in how markets react. <laughs> but they'll still, they'll stand by their models all day long. It, I, I call it the model call and they, they will stand by their models all day long. They'll go down with that ship. But again, people need to understand that the Fed is never overtly political. It will not step into this shit show called the debt ceiling that nobody's paying attention to. And it won't get in front of it. No matter what inflation's doing, no matter what the stock market is doing, until the politics are resolved, the Fed's hands are tied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of it, uh, I don't think of it as Fed pride. I, I think of it more as CYA, like Fed cover your ass now. Like. You know, I, to me, that's the whole point of being policymakers that are late and lagging. You eventually have to succumb because you're, again, you're trying to cover your ass. True. It's just sometimes your ass gets really big. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I that, said that out loud. If, yep. that, if that is not the way to end what is, uh, it's August, but it's a very timely and topical conversation. I know a lot of people really care. I mean, obviously, we're going to get the, the schedule of speakers here imminently tonight, I guess. And, um, you know, the, you just gave them a ton of context and a nice timeline to think about everything. So thank you very much for that. Great to be with you, Keith. Thank you. Thank you. And she is the one and only DDB. Please follow her on Twitter. She's a beauty. Thanks for listening to Real Conversations brought to you by Hedgeye. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com slash terms of service.